Hi everybody, it's Kevin Clark with Valpoint Real Estate Development in Fairhope, Alabama with another episode of Decoding Real Estate in Baldwin County, Alabama. Well, I have, I think, which is a subject I haven't touched on yet, uh, something I think you should understand. I had a friend of mine come to me last week <clears throat> and said, Kevin, I was under contract um, for a, a home I was going to buy, investment property, and, uh, you know, I wasn't sure how to cancel the contract. Luckily, I had a really great agent uh, who was able to help me. But, you know, maybe you should do an episode on how people cancel real estate purchase agreements or contracts. Because I don't think a lot of people, including myself, knew how to do that or what was permitted. So, you know, he was in California. But then again... It happens everywhere. Contracts do get canceled. Um, a lot of people uh, close on homes, but there are some times where there are just things that happen. And in order to really understand the process, you have to understand what purchase contracts are. You have an offer. You have an acceptance of that offer. You know, the buyer makes the offer. The seller agrees to a certain price and terms and so on and the process begins that we've talked about before you have inspections and other things that happen you get qualified if you're not paying all cash and then they underwrite that loan application and then you move forward you have your inspections and then at some point if everything's good you waive all your contingencies and now you go to actual closing you pay the money into title or escrow they put their documents in the deed and otherwise they many times pay any existing liens on the property like a pre-existing mortgage from the seller. That all gets cleared through title. And then you close and you get the keys and you've got clean title. You've got a mortgage loan that you're going to have to pay on monthly. And there you go. But what if something happens? Now, a lot of times it's related to the contract terms, which mean that you have certain contingencies. But I want to talk about a few that are a little more unusual. Usual in the sense that you may not think of it first. Think of it first. What if you have a certain amount of good credit and you have a certain income that you're relying on, savings, that is going to be used to purchase the home? Well, what if for some reason your job suddenly changed or you got laid off? Or if there was an emergency that occurred and you had to use some of your savings to cure that emergency. Well, now maybe you don't have the income that you expected or maybe you're going to be relocating to a new job and that's why you're going to be buying this home and now that has changed. Life happens. And when that happens, now you're not able to qualify for the loan. Now, there'll be a contingency or a way for you to have to have something (coughs) get done in order for you to have to move forward with the purchase. And that contingency or sort of escape hatch for you, you know, your parachute to pull out of the deal, is going to have certain timing or deadlines. Now, applying for and getting pre-approved and actually having yourself finally approved by underwriting with a lender is one of those very important contingencies. 
And if you can't get qualified and you cannot get that loan, then in most cases, that contingency is going to let you get out of the contract. Let's say you've had another situation. Let's say for other reasons, the mortgage company doesn't want to approve your loan. The mortgage gets denied. Could be when they do the appraisal, appraisal comes back and the home isn't worth $300,000 as far as the appraiser is concerned. It's only worth two fifty. dollars <coughs> Excuse me. Now, unless you're going to come up with that additional $50,000, you are not going to be able to close. And maybe you don't want to. And now the seller and the buyer are faced with, well, the seller could lower the price by two fifty, or whatever amount it may be. Or the buyer could come up with more money or maybe have to um, get a second mortgage, which may not be permitted in that particular instance. So that's a reason you could fall out of a deal that the appraisal or the mortgage is denied for whatever reason. And that can happen even if you're pre-approved or pre-qualified. Those are soft inquiries in the sense that they're not super detailed based on income and the general credit pull that they get on your three um, credit scores. But what if in the deeper dive of underwriting, they find other issues that come up that make it unable to approve? That's one of the biggest contingencies. And of course, I touched on the appraisal. Now, you can have the property reappraised, but in many cases, they're either going to average or use the lowest of the two to it depending on where you are in jurisdictions the appraisal rules are very complicated but bottom line in if i have an appraisal that's come in that's very low i've had difficulty with getting appraisals changed or increased to the extent that i was successfully able to close it's only happened in a few instances but it's something you've got to be prepared for the biggest reason that deals get canceled probably in my experience though is home inspections that usually is really when the rubber hit the, hits the road. You buy the, put an offer in, gets accepted. One of the first things you're going to have done is have a home inspection on the property by a licensed professional. In that case, this professional is going to come in. It's going to take two to four hours, maybe more for bigger homes or homes that are older. And they're going to look at everything all the systems, all the appliances, all the electrical, plumbing, the roof, inside the attic. They'll go into every space that they can easily get into for that particular house. If there's a crawl space underneath, they may look at the underpinnings of the home, especially if it's on piers or sometimes raised versus being on what they call a slab, which is that concrete bottom of a house in many cases that the rest of the house is built on. And if the report comes back, which sometimes can be 50 to 100 pages long, there'll be recommendations of things that should be repaired, that could need repairing in the future, and then red flags of things that absolutely are failing and need to be repaired or fixed immediately. And those things could be the air conditioning has failed, water heaters, leaky roof, exposed wiring, things that aren't done to code, maybe the appliances or plumbing has gone bad, maybe there is mold 
I mean, there's a lot of termite damage. Now, that's going to be a different report, but still, sometimes there's visual damage that a, or you know, water intrusion that home inspectors can spot. And maybe in those cases, you're going to go to the homeowner, the seller, and say, look, here's a copy of the report. Here's all the things that are wrong with your house. I need to have these fixed before I come close the deal and actually purchase the home or you can give me X amount of dollars to repair it. Now, many times you can get credits at closing, which could be toward closing costs, one-time fees, or just a credit against the purchase price, which is all disclosed to the lender as well, which sometimes creates its own can of worms. But the fact is, the main issue is, is the house in sufficiently good condition that a buyer is gonna feel comfortable Moving into it, knowing that eventually I've got to replace the air conditioning because it's only got six months left or water heaters or maybe there's electrical issues with the panel. Uh, if it's got a pool, maybe the pool equipment is older and needs repair. The roof needs to be redone soon. Uh, I've got mold, all these issues. You want to make sure that you've got your concerns addressed and many times and this is the primary one the home inspection is the kiss of death for the deal and that comes in the very beginning and there are going to be in the contract deadlines these deadlines could be business days which is monday through friday excluding federal holidays it could be calendar days which is every day could be you've got 10 days to get the inspection done and get it to the seller in five days. Could be 35 days. Depends on how long your escrower is, which is anywhere from 30 to 45 days. Cash deals can be done much quicker. We just had one that got done in 10 days, all cash. And they still did the inspection. But these things are very important. And you wanna make sure that if you're a buyer, you go over these deadlines with your agent to make sure that you're in compliance and especially in Alabama, which is a caveat emptor, which means buyer beware, the burden is 100% on you to find out everything wrong with the house, except if there's anything that can harm either the occupants of the house or other people coming into the house. If there's something that's obvious to the owner or the agent, they have to disclose it to you. And we can go into that more, but the bottom line is, Majority of times, it's all on the buyer in, in Alabama to be able to find out all the issues the home may have. California is different. They are a disclosure state, and they want you to do all these reports and all these things where you have to disclose every little thing that you know of that may be of concern to a buyer. But in Alabama, caveat emptor. That's why these contingencies and inspections are so important. Now, Sometimes you'll have an issue with the seller. Seller meaning they just don't want to agree, agree to the repairs. Okay, that happens. They don't want to agree to give you a credit. You know, they just don't want to do it. And that's fine. That's a seller's prerogative. Just like you don't have to buy a house you don't want or don't want to make those repairs. And that sometimes can be the difficulty. They're willing to walk away. They're willing to wait until they get their price. And that's understandable. And you just, you know, take it for granted. I know you put out three to five, $600 for the inspection. You did 
credit report pulls, which is maybe $50, $100, and maybe some other expenses and time away from work or your family to do all these things. That's just the freight you pay when you're buying a home. You've got to put up some money to get certain things done, and not every deal closes. The other thing, and it's less common, is when you have title issues. The ownership somehow in the property is not clean, meaning there could be a lien out there that the seller is not aware of. It could be a title issue that has occurred and existed for a long time and is never addressed. And so these things happen usually in the beginning because title companies will pull title reports. And they're called preliminary title investigations and reports. And they'll pull and they'll have certain items that pop up which are either exceptions or problems with liens, encumbrances, or other restrictions on the title. And when you review that with your agent, which, you know, depending on the time of year and the busyness of the title company, you generally can have this happen later in the transaction. But even still, you're going to be able to review it and see if there's any red flags. And if so, those need to be corrected. And those need to be corrected by the seller. Many times, the seller either can or won't want to do that, and that can kill the deal too, which you don't want to buy a property that's got impaired credit, impaired title or liens on it because then they're going to become your problem and you don't want to do that. And in Alabama, which is interesting, especially Baldwin County where I do most of the real estate, <coughs> excuse me, there are other contingencies that are also available. We have a contingency with our standard forms for the um, insurance, which again is another big issue in all jurisdictions. But here it's important because we have so many hurricanes and we have issues with that. So you've got to make sure that you have the ability to get insurance on this new property, especially since it'll be required if there's a loan. But even if you have a cash buyer, they obviously want to have insurance on this because if you have a claim, uh, even though cars are less expensive, not having insurances will breaking the law. <coughs> but also, you can have real problems where a damage to a car can be thousands of dollars. Imagine a home. I mean, a little sip of water here. Imagine a home having a claim or damage from wind or rain or hurricane, and it's not insured. Tens of thousands of dollars. So you have to get approved for insurance. Just as a matter of course, you you should never buy a home without property insurance, and you've got to get approved for that at an amount that you can afford. So for some reason, you know, you go along and now you've done your due diligence on other items, but the insurance comes back either so extremely expensive or it's going to be insurance that won't necessarily have all the coverage you like, then that could be an area where you can cancel it. I referred to this earlier termite inspections. Now, the fact is, down here, we have the Formosan term, we have termite problems like you can't believe down here in Florida and other areas. You have to get a termite inspection done. Now, whether or not you want to get a termite contract to protect the house in the future is one thing, but many homes down here have been affected by termites. Now, just because you've had termite damage, as long as that 
termite infestation or damage was addressed when it occurred, just having prior termite damage, depending on how extensive it was, it can be a, a no, a, not a big deal. And there's a lot of things beyond termites. There's mites and mold and other issues that can really attack wood in homes, especially down in these areas where there's a lot of moist weather. You know, Alabama, Florida. So the bottom line is a termite inspection may bring up active infestation or such extensive damage or active infestation that you can't move forward because it would require so many repairs and so much cost to fix it that you don't want to do it. And again, this always comes down to the personal choice of the buyer. But many times it's economically or use driven. Meaning if this house is falling apart from termite damage, and believe me, I've seen it where the home has literally been eaten alive by termites for years, or it's so expensive to get repaired and the seller doesn't want to pay for it, and the buyer doesn't want to pay for it, then you can kill a deal that way too. The other thing is I want to tell you some smaller ones, and they're not small, but they're just maybe something you've never heard of. We have sections now that say if you cannot get internet at the house, you don't have to move forward if you want to have that as being one of the reasons for a contingency. And that's important because in many many areas and many homes, we all need internet now to run all of our computers and TVs and I mean internet access is so critical in some areas it's not as pervasive or available as you would think if you live in a big city whether it's New York Los Angeles Chicago Birmingham up north from us you know you have no issues of getting any kind of um, internet service it's just so pervasive it's everywhere but in other areas that are more rural or less populated it could be spotty in so many cases you're going to find out that internet's not available or it's so expensive to get that you don't want to move forward and that's a important contingency there's other contingencies if you're anywhere near water or potential inundation of water you have areas called flood zones. Now, flood down here, flood zone X, basically doesn't require any extra insurance. Now, we have enough on insurance with hurricanes, wind, and water intrusion from those that it makes it more expensive to have insurance down here in many cases. But what if you're going to be near water? Then many times you're going to have to have a contingency for whether you're in a flood zone or whether you're going to be in a area where you could have flooding and that's where flood zone areas come up the federal government produces what are called flood zone maps and you can look it up in the internet you just type in your address and it'll tell you what flood zone you're in now if you're in a flood zone x i referred to earlier you don't have any specific requirements because those are basically areas that don't flood but you could have area AE or others where it happens more often. And in those cases, not only are you gonna impact your insurance contingency, but you need to consider, hey, I'm gonna need to get a elevation certificate, which they cost money and timing to find out how high above the water level or sea level or water level is my home and how likely am I gonna have water damage? Has there been water damage before? Has it had to have repairs? And those kick in and many times you're in areas where 
it's not necessarily a defined subdivision where everybody's lot's sort of the same size and you've got 200 homes. It is pretty clear to understand what the boundaries of your property are. Maybe it's a larger piece of property or maybe it's an area that was developed not in a traditional subdivision that many people think of. It was something a little more personalized, I'll say. So then you have to get a survey to be able to verify what are the boundaries of your property and are there any encroachments or issues that may come up with that survey. Maybe somebody next door to you in an area where it's not a standard subdivision situation has built their garage five feet onto your property or a barn or an outbuilding or their driveway. Now you've got an encroachment that if you don't deal with, they eventually become permanent. You need to have a survey done. And that survey could be a contingency that you say, I need either an existing or a new survey, depending on who you ask to pay for it, and be able to say, hey, I had the survey done and there's some problems. And they can either be corrected, but that could be another reason to get out of the transaction. Same thing with elevation certificates. It'll tell you your home is five feet above the uh, water levels that are usually found in that area. Now, if there's any kind of storm surge, you might experience flooding, and it may have happened in the past, and you may be in a area or a flood zone where that's happened in the past and it could happen in the future, and that may be something you're uncomfortable with, and you can at that point say, I disapprove of the contract based on that. And I think it's important for you to be able to understand that all this comes back to the beginning of the conversation like i've always said you need to do your due diligence do your work do your research get a great agent or realtor involved get all your other professionals without the help of your realtor agent or on your own and you need to when you're preparing the offer talk to your agent and say what kind of contingencies or ways to get out of the contract can i have I know about the mortgage, I know about the inspection, maybe uh, insurance, which is kind of expensive down here. What about termite damage, which is another one? Okay, what about uh, a survey, if, is it needed? Or what about if I need internet? What are the available contingencies? Now, I've done commercial and you would not believe the level of contingencies you'll have in those type of transactions for commercial property. But in residential, you can easily especially with standardized contracts through the local board of realtors and what the agents use, you can go through and say, I want as many contingencies as I have that makes sense for me that won't make my offer totally undesirable to an average seller. Because sellers appreciate the fact that a buyer buying their home is a big decision and they should be entitled to have title searched and have due diligence inspections and have the insurance in, possibly if it's in a flood zone or termite damage or mold or water damage, all these things. You know, what about having internet access? And, you know, are there any liens on the property? On and on and on. So all of those things come back to doing the work on the front end with your agent realtor to be able to know that you've got the appropriate level of potential contingencies of things that are important to you that you want to make sure are okay with the house and that you have time to get them done 
under the time frame you laid out for when you want to close on purchasing the property. And once you have those, you and your agent have to stay on top of those deadlines to make sure you're getting things done in a timely fashion. And even though you have an agent who's representing you and they're getting paid a lot of money to do the work, it's also your responsibility to keep them, you know, trust but verify. Make sure things are getting done. And usually an agent can give you a list of all the different contingencies when the contract was fully executed, when those contingencies started, and when the deadlines are coming up. And if they can't do that, then you know maybe you need to talk to another realtor. But check that out when you're talking and investigating realtors to use. They should be able to give you all this information and lay it out for you. And then the contract, especially when you're first doing the first offer or even beforehand, they should be able to take one of those standardized contracts they use for that particular property. Could be land is different than a single family residence, maybe different than a condo, because a condo, there are other issues that come up related to the homeowner association, what's covered, what isn't, what kind of things you need to look at. But the average single family residency, they're gonna have all the terms and conditions and they should go line by line by paragraph of every single thing that's in that contract before you sign it. And if you have any questions, they should be able to answer those questions to your full satisfaction to the extent that it's understandable by you. And if you need a lawyer to go through it with you, then you maybe pay the few hundred dollars to have that done. But most of these standardized contracts and most of these realtor agents have enough experience, they can explain them to you. They're not lawyers, they're not accountants, and you don't and you can't hold them to that level, and nor will they give you legal advice, but they will give you their professional advice of what those provisions are relating to. And if you need further assistance, you talk to a lawyer, you talk to an accountant, but they're generally written in such straightforward English language that if even if you're an individual or English is not your first language and you need assistance, there are many people out there that can provide that and give you the benefit of their translation skills and they can help you. Because here, everybody's welcome. Everybody's entitled to have great real estate. Everybody wants the American dream of owning property here. And whether or not, if you're a person who has migrated here and is either a US citizen now but still has some difficulty with English, that's not a big deal. You take the time out as a realtor agent to understand that. You have resources. I do. If somebody, you know, is really comfortable with Spanish or comfortable with some other language, could be an Asian individual, maybe they speak Chinese better than they speak English, doesn't matter to me. I'll find somebody that can sit down and talk to them in their original native tongue, which is understandable. And then you get and understanding what the contract means in English. I mean, I'm from the West Coast originally, and I moved here with my wife who's originally from Fairhope, Alabama. Let me tell you, when I was talking to people in the beginning, and I think even still now, they're like, where are you from? Because I sound different than most people sound like down here in Southern Alabama, which is fine. So it doesn't matter if you're just coming across country or across the world. In America, you are entitled to have everything that any other person is had, whether they're natural born here or not. And I love working with people from all over the world, and I have. And it's just a matter of they are your clients. And you, as the client of these agents, whether you're a buyer or seller, deserve 
the professional and respectful treatment by everybody who you're working with. And if they're not, get rid of them. Kick them to the curb and get somebody who can. Because there are so many people who are bilingual. Or I had an acquaintance of mine who spoke eight languages. That's phenomenal. I wish every kid could. I studied French and Latin when I was younger. Can't speak a stick of any of it anymore. But the bottom line is, is that I tried to get a better understanding of languages to improve my ability to communicate thoughts. And I hope that's coming through for everybody listening. But the bottom line is, inspections and all the other contingencies weigh heavily in the negotiation process, but also when you're trying to get out of a contract. They're critical because if you don't have a contingency that is available for you to cancel the contract, then you could lose your earnest money deposit. And this is understandable. If you have a contract where let's say you have $1,000 of earnest money and you go through the whole process and now the property's been off the market and is under contract for a month, it hasn't been available for other buyers to look at. And you just decide one day as a spire that the sky is blue and you don't like it and you cancel the contract, that's not fair. You don't have a legitimate reason to cancel it. You don't have an available contingency or excuse to cancel it. And in that case, the buyer would be justified in getting, I mean the seller, excuse me, the seller is justified in getting that earnest money, that good faith deposit that you agreed that you would basically lose if you don't proceed with the contract for a good reason namely a contingency or some other excuse in the written contract. And many times that happens. And what's important to know, and it's a subject for another discussion, which I probably will do now, is how do you get back your earnest money if there is a dispute regarding the contract and you're not going to close? Who keeps it? Buyer, seller, or does it have to go some other method to be able to get it resolved? And that's a little more than I want to go into on that. But here's the bottom line. In order to get out of a contract legally and legitimately, and we want to all treat people fairly, you have to have a viable reason in the written contract, which we call contingencies that either can be approved you know, and waived, or they can be denied and you get your earnest money back and everybody moves on, or it can be negotiated, meaning repairs, money, adjustments of some kind. Without that, there's a good chance you could lose your earnest money. And that's hard-earned money, and you don't want to do that. Well, I hope this was enlightening for many people. I hope I was clear about all the issues you could run into that could give you an opportunity to cancel and why you may want to cancel a contract and the repercussions of trying to improperly cancel a contract without a valid reason. So I hope everybody is doing well. I deeply appreciate you guys listening to my podcast Once again, if you're ever in the area, give me a call, 251-599-6375. Be sure to check out searchbaldwincountyal.com or valpointrealestate.com. A lot of great tools and information, and I think that you'll find whatever you need there. Again, I wish you well. Have a great time with your family and friends. Be safe, and I will talk to you soon with another good episode, not a good episode. What am I saying? A great episode of Decoding Real Estate in Baldwin County, Alabama. Talk to you soon. Bye.